Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back into yet another episode of Just Saying Sports. I am your host today, Jake Atnip, and with me, per usual, the great Sean Dwyer. How you doing? We got a great show lined up for you today. Uh, going on number two, show number two of 2019. Got a little bit of college football reaction after the college football playoff and the national championship finished just over a week ago. Uh, we got some NFL talk. And we also are going to bring in a little bit of our thoughts on the best teams in the NBA up to this point and who's going to keep on moving forward. So without any further ado, uh, we're going to dive right into that college football championship. Uh, Sean, with Clemson just completely rolling Alabama out uh, out of the warehouse or out of the woodshed, whatever you want to call it. Um, obviously I think that's the most dominating performance that anybody in the last 10 years has seen against Alabama. I mean, I know that's the biggest loss in the saving era, but I mean, people are already starting to talk. Oh man, is this the end of the dynasty for Alabama or what's, what's going to happen now? (laughs) I think the answer is pretty simple. They're going to be right back there again next year. I mean, what do you think? I think that the people who say Alabama's time has come to an end are out of their minds just because of, you know, Nick Saban is still the coach to Alabama. He's not going anywhere. Um, They have the number one recruiting class in the country coming in, so they're just going to reload. I don't know if they're going to be as dominant as they were this year, next year, just because of what they're going to lose in first-round talent off the defense. But they're going to be back. By the end of the season, they're going to have freshmen, sophomores, juniors all step up, fill in, and they're going to be right back to being Alabama that they are. Um, Early returns, in my mind, I don't see anybody outside of Georgia really challenging them in the SEC. Yeah, I mean, Alabama has been like this for quite a while now, and what people think that they're just going to fall off because Clemson dismantled them in one game. I mean, what's one game out of a decade in all reality when Nick Saban has, what, five national titles since he's been in Alabama? Yeah, and Clemson is the only team, I think, that's beaten Alabama multiple times. Dabo is one of the only coaches with multiple wins against Nick Saban. It's just that's ridiculous when you start looking at what Alabama's done. And I really don't think anything slows them down outside of a Saban retirement or just stuff just internally falling apart. But I I don't really buy the whole Alabama's time has come to an end hype at all. No, to be honest with you, I don't even think that Alabama's, you know, train would stop even if Saban did retire. I mean, that that pipeline is already so strong, and the way that they, you know, recruit and the way that they compete, I'm pretty sure any recruit in the nation would want to go there, even sans Nick Saban. So I don't think anything is going wrong at Alabama. They just had one one game where they were favored, and they got their butts whooped. So – I mean, one thing that we did notice in the national championship game was the play from two really good quarterbacks with uh, Tua and Trevor Lawrence. Obviously, one outplayed the other, but let's start. Let's stick with the Alabama side for now, Sean, since we're already talking about it. Tua kind of got exposed. He had lots of bad plays, didn't really seem to have a head about him. Uh, I mean, I thought that Alabama waited too long to try out the Jalen Hurts route that they've done so many times, Uh, but... It was, this, was this indicative of what Tua is actually capable of, or is Clemson just really good at game planning and was able to really just pick apart Tua at the seams? I think it's a mixture of both, honestly. I think Clemson having a, the two-week window to prepare for the national championship obviously helped them 
because um, outside of, I think, maybe two teams during the regular season who they opened with and coming off their bye, no team really had two weeks to prepare for Alabama. I'm sorry. I mean, um, Oklahoma and the first team that Alabama played in the season didn't really have more than a week to prepare for them. And so even saw Oklahoma give that defensive fits late in that game just because of the game planning. And I think Clemson had a great plan going in, and I think they executed it perfectly. I think, you know, we were talking, texting during the game. Clemson played just about as perfectly as they could. They had, I think, one penalty, two penalties in the game. They, they got takeaways, yeah. Exactly. And then Tua also got exposed for what he is, and that's a sophomore quarterback in college. You know, he missed some reads with defenses and disguised blitzes that really fooled him. And I think both of his interceptions he threw, he was see- they were talking about it on the game cast. They were- he was seeing one thing, and Clemson was showing one thing, but they did not do that. I think, you know, credit to Clemson's defensive coordinator, uh, Venables. He's one of the best in the country. I think Clemson really exposed that he can't – he misses reads sometimes. And also they really took advantage with, with turnovers on his high-risk, medium to low-reward plays that he does sometimes where he just throws the ball deep to Judy or Waddle or Ruggs and expects them to make a play, and they had all year. But this was Clemson, and you're not going to get away with a lot of that stuff like you would with your playing a five-and-five Auburn team near the end of the season. It just doesn't work like that in the national championship. Well, I mean, speaking of things that were a little bit surprising or, you know, weren't supposed to happen like that in the national championship, Trevor Lawrence came to play. I mean, he had three touchdowns over 300 yards, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, this kid looked great as a freshman. Uh, I mean, do you think that, you know, he, he was left out of the Heisman conversation this year. He still had great numbers. But do you think this kid is going to be the one to be a front runner for that type of stuff next year or in the future? Oh, of course. Uh, the only reason he wasn't this year is because he came in, I think, four, four games, four or five games into the season and then was named the starter. So he didn't really – he didn't start the season. But once he came in, his numbers were great. You know, he did what he needed to do to win games. I think next year with him being a sophomore, uh, Clemson's going to probably open up the offense more because he's going to have his entire complement of skill position players that make an impact back talking about ETN, Ross, T. Higgins, they're all going to be back. And, you, I mean, that, just a little side note here, that Ross kid was amazing in that game. We had catches he was making. So when Trevor Lawrence has those kind of weapons around him, and they're Clemson, they're going to add more during his time there. I don't think Trevor Lawrence saying that Clemson's going to be back to the championship the next three years. I don't think he's – I don't knock the kid for that because I can honestly see that happening. He is that good. Clemson's like same as Alabama. They're not going to rebuild. They're just going to reload and they're going to be back next year. I think they've already opened as the favorites to play against each other next year in the championship. And Trevor Lawrence is a big reason for that. I think if Kelly Bryant was still the quarterback there, I don't think that would be the case. Um, Trevor Lawrence really has Clemson going in the right direction. And I think by the time that he is done in college, if he continues to play the way he is, he might, we might be talking about one of the best quarterbacks of all time in college. I think he's that good. Wow. That's uh that's a bold statement, you know, especially with what we've seen. I mean, he's gonna have to win a couple of Heisman trophies over the next few years if he's even gonna come close to that stature. Well, I mean, we're talking about some of the best quarterbacks coming out of college in recent years. You know, Andrew Luck didn't have the Heisman, didn't have the national title like Trevor Lawrence already has. And I think, 
you know what? I'll say it. I think Trevor Lawrence, by the time he's a junior, will be better than Andrew Luck was as a junior at Stanford. I just think I just see his career path. I don't see it leveling off. I don't see his skill leveling off and hitting the plateau. I think he's only going to get better. And I think that when he comes out, that 2021 draft class that he's going to be a part of, because let's be honest, he's not staying four years at Clemson. Um, I think it's going to be the most teams are going to start losing on purpose, just like they did for Andrew Luck. And I think it's going to be amazing to see what team he ends up on and how quickly he takes that team. Like Andrew Luck did with the Colts where they come off that two and 14 season and where he turns it around to where they're a wild card team the next year. I think he can have that same kind of impact. So do you think that it's almost a shoe in for these two teams next year? I know you mentioned that there are already basically odds on favorites to play in the national title again this year, but are you convinced? If I had to put money on Alabama versus Clemson or the field of any other combination of teams, I would put the odds probably 70-30 it'll be Clemson-Alabama. I just don't – I don't see two teams that are going to really challenge them like that. I think Ohio State, um, they lose Urban Meyer, but we know – I don't really know what Ryan Day is going to be right now, so we'll see. Of course, they have Justin Fields transfer in from Georgia. He might not be eligible. Tate Martell is leaving. Ohio State could be without a quarterback next year. We'll see. Oklahoma, they're going to have to fill Kyler Murray's shoes. I don't think they have a guy who's ready to do that. And then Georgia's going to have to figure out how to beat Alabama. Um, I'll see. I'll believe it when I see it. But as of right now, I don't think they can do it. So, yeah, Alabama, Clemson. Those are the tier two teams in college football that could push them, but I don't think they have enough to do it. All righty. Well, uh, I mean, that is the end of the college football season. Obviously, this is a year-round deal, but working towards the end, I think we all had a pretty good idea that these two teams were going to be the ones in it at the end. I think it was just a matter of kind of flipping a coin to see who was going to turn out. But uh, with that talent that they both have a quarterback, obviously Tua will be back as well. Um, I think they're both going to be just as dangerous come next year. There's no doubt about it. Now, we are going to move on just from that little nugget onto our postseason or postseason, midseason NBA roundup. Uh, Just going to talk about a few teams, surprises and uh, some of our expectations for the rest of the season. Um, Sean, I know we each talked about a couple teams, and we wanted to bring one up, but the first one that I'm sure everybody wants to hear about is the Golden State Warriors. They're currently not even in first place in the West, but as of recording this podcast, they are going to face off with the Denver Nuggets, um, who currently have the best record in the West. Uh, So there's kind of a battle for, for supremacy happening on that front. But, I mean, looking down the road, do, we, do you think that the Warriors are still the odds-on favorite to win the uh, Larry O'Brien trophy? Yes, and for, for many reasons, but just the simple reason I'll put it is they haven't had their full complement of players healthy for big stretches this year. Steph has missed some time. Draymond's missed some time. Durant's missed some here and there. They really haven't been all together, and they haven't even gotten Boogie back from his injury. So once they all get on the court together – I honestly don't see a team in the NBA that can beat them. I think that they're, I mean, to be honest, completely honest, I think they're sandbagging it in the regular season. Well, yeah, I mean, they're not they, playing, they don't play all their players every night. Somebody's always sitting out with an injury. And, and all, you, well, and you know, with the Warriors, it's been like this for a couple of years. Is, and I, I don't have any problems with this, but say somebody gets injured, 
they'll put them on a, on a designation for six weeks where it only takes three weeks to heal because they know they have enough talent to win the games without the people, and they would rather have them ready and fresh for the playoffs. It's like the it's like every other sport, you know, the team that makes the run two or three years to the championship, they have a steep fall off. Just not because of they lose talent, because all the teams are always bringing in more as some leaves, but it's just those key guys that are there. They're exhausted. The Warriors, how many years in the row have the Warriors been to the finals now? Getting the shortest break of any NBA team from end of the finals to training camp. Those players are probably exhausted just physically from the years and years. They're not going to be um, have as much energy as the season drags on because they're not getting enough rest during the offseason. So I think the Warriors are kind of sandbagging the regular season, just going to be like, well, you know what? As long as we make the playoffs, we can turn it on and we'll, we'll have more energy than anybody else because we've been resting all season. And they're good enough to do that, which is very bad for the NBA in my opinion. But that's a different topic. Well, yeah, I mean, there's plenty of teams that are able to do that, but not to the Warriors' extent. You know, having them be able to literally rotate out one or two guys and still be able to put up a fight against other NBA teams is pretty uncommon, especially when it is one of their stars. But, uh, I mean, I still think the Warriors are definitely the favorite. But the West is a lot tighter and a lot different than I think a lot of us imagined at this point in the season. So it's still up in the air, and depending on what happens tonight, we'll see if the Nuggets really can uh, battle for supremacy in the West. Uh, That can lead us right into our next team, which is the Denver Nuggets, actually. Um, I wanted to bring this up because, uh, I mean, where the heck did they come from? Uh, they have had such a great start to the season. They've had a couple really big winning streaks. Uh, Gary Harris is finally becoming the player that they drafted him to be. Gary! Yeah, uh, Jokic is definitely a top five big man in the NBA, and he's been playing like it uh, on the boards, on offense, on playmaking. Jokic is a monster. I mean – what made this all happen and start clicking like now? I think it was, you know, I remember reading an article a couple of weeks ago talking about Jokic and um, they've changed up their defensive scheme to help him more because it's, it's not a secret. He's not the best defender. He's not the most athletic big man, but he's good with what he knows how to, that he can do good, if that makes sense. So they really tried to focus everything around that defensively, helping him in certain situations. And then on offense, um, Jamal Murray coming into himself as a scorer. Gary Harris really starting to get over that hump. And then with just some of the injuries like they've had throughout the season, like every other NBA team, they've had guys step up and their bench has just gotten deeper. So there's not really that drop-off that some teams have from starters to bench roles. And I think that they're just – they're riding the high right now. They're playing very well. They've got a great offense. They're playing not great but decent defense and getting stops when they need them. And they've looked – I, if you're asking me if I'm surprised, yes. I didn't think they would be in first place around the midway point of the NBA season. But I don't really see them not holding the spot with the way they've been playing lately. They might not finish in first, but I definitely see them as a top three seed. Well, yeah, and I mean, it just – it all depends on if they can keep it up. That's the biggest deal is I think that they have what it takes. And, I mean, they're, obvi- they're, they're basically already in the playoffs. I mean, it's yeah. not guaranteed, but, you know, you're not going to – unless it's that steep of a fall-off like you were mentioning, they're already in the playoffs. So they just need to be able to keep it up and keep where they want to be in order to make their run, hopefully probably to the Western Conference Finals um, against the Warriors if they want to make a splash. Now, we do want to talk about the Lakers out there in the West uh, since, you know, we're kind of on topic here. 
LeBron, they haven't really had a full complement of players all year. Somebody's been hurt the whole time. Uh, LeBron's been showing out, and when LeBron's out, they don't really do much. But, I mean, they have I – I think they've lost five of ten or something around that point. But, uh, I mean, where do you see the Lakers falling at eventually? I know I, when we first started the NBA season, we talked about them being somewhere in that three, four – maybe even five range. Uh, is that still where we're sitting at with your opinion? Uh, my opinion is it all depends on LeBron James's health. Um, if he's forced to miss another extended period of time, I see them getting more of a six to eight range just because they're not the same team with LeBron James. No team would be the same without the best player, arguably, of a generation. Not arguably. He is the best player of this generation. Um, and, of course, the team's going to hurt without him on the floor. I mean, look at it. The difference of, that he makes on the floor for the Lakers this year, it's its stupid how crazy they are from one end of the spectrum to the other without him. Um, well, I they mean, just need him. To well, me, they just need him. Well, of course they need him. I mean, if you look at what they, he did in Cleveland, taking the worst team well, in the NBA, of course right, any, any team with any talent would still need LeBron no matter how much talent they had. But the thing is I that, think that if they, they had can't, LeBron – they can't win without him. Therefore, I don't think that Lakers team really has much behind it. Yeah, if they have LeBron, I think they're a probably a two through four seed. If they don't have him, I think they're a six through eight seed. And if he misses, if at some point he misses a month or a month or two, I don't think they make the playoffs. I think it's just how much LeBron is out is going to really depend on where their seed falls. And depending on where their seed falls, it depends on how many rounds they can make it through the playoffs. If they're an eight seed having to go against the Warriors or the Nuggets in a seven-game series round one, I don't think the Lakers make it out of there. Well, it's going to be tough. I mean, that Western Conference is still just as grueling and uh, you know challenging as it has been over the years, and now LeBron was just added to the mix. So, you know, I think the playoffs out there in the West are going to be really, really exciting. Oh, they're going to be so good to watch. All righty. One more topic that we wanted to touch on this evening before we go is Mr. I poke himself, Mr. Slamma Jamma. I know we talked about this at the beginning of the season, but Zion Williamson, you think he really has to be the number one overall pick with all the hype? And, you know, he's shown some, he's shown some flashes of range. He's broken a few records at Duke. I mean, this kid's obviously something special, right? Yeah, he's the best player in – on Duke's team of the freshman, I think. Just really, I really only settled on him lately. I think for most of the season, I think Cam Reddish was the best, and he was just getting suppressed by the other talent. But it's, uh, lately, I can't argue with it. It's Zion. Um, the guy is scoring 20 points a night pretty much. He's getting the rebounds. He's making assists. Of course, he's racking up the dunk highlights. But to me, one of the things that really, it was even watching the game last night, was putting him in the middle of that Syracuse zone, and he was just – that's the reason why Duke lost is they went away from that. Putting him in the middle of the zone, having him facilitate or pull up from the free throw line, the shot he can hit, I think he is the number one pick just because he can do all the things. And then people want to say, well, he doesn't have the outside shot. Well, neither did LeBron when LeBron came into the NBA. People forget that LeBron was not a three-point threat, really, when he came into the league, and he worked on it, and he got better which is what Zion's going to do. He's going to get better in the NBA. There's no way that this kid's already maxed out on his potential. I think he is the number one pick to whoever gets it because he can be a franchise changer like LeBron was. I'm not saying he's the next LeBron, 
I'm saying he can change a franchise the way LeBron turned around Cleveland. And I think that's really why you can't really argue with anybody else at that number one spot. Well, and I mean, I think I said it at the beginning of the season, I knew that Zion was probably going to be the best player in college basketball. Um, I mean, this kid is extremely talented. He's a lot of fun to watch. So, I mean, not even just for straight talent-wise, but with the hype trade and all this stuff, almost like a Baker Mayfield type of pick. If you pick Zion first overall, that's going to put butts in the seats from day oh, yeah. one. And you also have to imagine that the team <laughs> picking first probably doesn't have the best attendance right now, looking at some of the teams, you know. Exactly, um, and they got to think about that. Yeah. What would it be like if Zion goes to Cleveland at one overall? They lose LeBron one season but get Zion the next. I think it would be great. Is there anybody else uh, who should be in the conversation around the uh, you know top three picks? Uh, top three picks, I think, in my mind, Zion's at number one. We just said why. At number two, I would have to go a mixture of three names. Um, well, make Reddish. it no, no, no. You make a point. You make a point. Who, okay. Who's number I'm two? Point. Number two, R.J. Barrett is number two to me. Volume score. He can make create his own shots. He can. He struggled from three. All of Duke's freshmen have really struggled from three, which I did not expect. But R.J. Barrett, he's a scorer. He's a rebounder. He can get the passes out. And the number three for me would be Ja Morant, the point guard from Murray State, who's really come out of nowhere, averaging a double-double every night, 24 points, 11 assists, hitting that six rebounds, putting up some kind of Russell Westbrook-looking numbers on a college level. But his only downside to me right now is he's averaging over five turnovers a game. He's got to clean that up. And the fact that he's playing at Murray State, people aren't going to respect the competition as much as if he was playing at a quote-unquote power five conference division kind of thing. But I think he might be a name to look out for. I watched mostly highlights of him because I don't really get Murray State basketball games on TV. So – I think he's. I think he's got to be up there. You know, you can't argue with the numbers, no matter what level they're at. But they take him with a grain of salt. But I think he could be in the top three picks. Alrighty. Well, we do just have one more little uh, discussion topic to talk about here in this episode, and just want to see who we think is gonna, you know, win the best record in the Eastern and Western conferences. I think me and you both agree. We kind of just talked about the Western a lot in our last segment that the Warriors are kind of have their own destiny in their hands and. They're the best if, if they decide to really kind of skid it out and maybe not die for the number one seed if it's really a challenge, I could see it happening. But if they just go out and play and let everything else shake out, I think the Warriors definitely end up with the best record. What about you? Yeah, if the Warriors try, they could have the best record in the West. If they don't try, I think Denver, Houston could probably make a run at it. I'd give the edge to Denver right now because they're there. But if the Warriors try, it's it, there's, the best record is theirs to have. No, what about the East for you? It's, to me, it's a toss-up. I think we both agree on that. It's a toss-up between Raptors and Celtics. I'd give it right now to the Raptors because Boston has been inconsistent lately. You know, they lost – I think they lost last night to the Magic or two nights ago. I um, really don't know how you do how that happens. Um, Raptors, they've lost some puzzlers too, but I think that with Kawhi and their young core, I think they are right now in a better position. The only caveat I will put on that is Boston, I don't see going quietly past the trade deadline. I don't know what they're going to do. Um, they're going to do something, I know. So this, but if but I had to pick right now, I'd go Toronto. Yeah, I'm, I'm almost in the same boat. I really think that 
no matter how mad the Raptors were that they got rid of DeMar DeRozan, who is a baller, um, to make that Raptors team a bit more complete. You know, to make it a little bit more complete, they needed somebody like Kawhi, and they'd done it. And they looked just as good as they did last year. Sands, Dwayne Casey, you know, no uh, no, DeMar DeRozan to really help out with that offensive spark. They've still done well. I still like Boston's chances to make a run at it, but like you said, they haven't been able to win the, the even the crappy games that have been close. So uh, it's kind of hard to put all the money in the books on them. Uh, but I think Toronto definitely is probably primed for the best way or the best run for the rest of the season. I agree. I think Toronto takes the best record in the East as well. All right. Well, as usual, this is our time to start signing off where we let you know to follow us on Twitter at Just Saying Sport. I'm at Jake Atnip, and over there is Mr. At Dwyer SE3. Make sure you give us a follow. Uh, we're, we're on there trying to get some engagement. So if there's anything uh, you guys want to listen for, please, as always, let us know. We would love to hear it. And if there's anything that you want to stop hearing about, you can tell us that too, but we probably won't stop talking about it. But yep, just a, I'm just going to give a quick Twitter thing right now. Um, we're going to start putting, I'm going to start putting up polls for uh, NFL draft stuff and uh, NBA draft stuff, uh, playoff stuff. There's going to be a lot coming out on the Twitter, um, a lot of polls. So if you guys get on there and vote, it'll really help drive what we talk about for the next couple months, really. So that would be a great help to us if you help us out and get on there. Of course, yeah, it gives us a little bit more talking points, and that way we know uh, if we sound credible or not. But anyways, uh, as always, like, share, follow, subscribe, heart, whatever you got to do, wherever you see this podcast, we would greatly appreciate it. Uh, we're going to be moving forward. We'll be back again next week with yet another episode. But for now, I'm Jake Atnip. I'm Sean DeWire. Thank you for listening to Just Saying Sport, and we'll see you next week.